Welcome back to Disney Dependent. I'm Sarah Chilcott. And I am Francis Ford Coppola. Why, Why did he, he say it? it? <laughs> Ashley knows. I don't. We'll revisit that later because okay. I'm a guy full of surprises. <laughs> I leave him hanging. That People tune for in for me and for Sarah's burp. That wasn't me. By the way, I was talking to Ashley earlier today. We were like, okay, great. See you back at home. I say bye. She burps. That was her <laughs> bye. All right. Love you, honey. Bye. <laughs> and then hangs up. It's like, what the <laughs> fuck, man? <laughs> yeah. 20 years. <laughs> She's going to burp in the phone. So just say bye. <laughs> She's lovely, isn't she? She really is. Did you see her? Thing about being a trophy wife on our trip no <laughs> yeah we were at the artist lounge at when we were young yeah. fest and there's a picture of me being being cool gorgeous no i think elegant. You're cute. she has a beanie on the hood it's cold and she gives like the rock symbol uh-huh. and like the when we were young lights in the background and she she posted saying something about like this is me doing my best impression of a trophy wife and I didn't even mention my worm farm once. <laughs> <laughs> they have no idea that I'm a worm farmer. Yeah. It's great. Because <laughs> there's, there's a lot of trophy wifing going on around oh, yeah. that scene, which is bleh, gross. Yeah. So I'd rather have my worm-loving wife yeah. any old day. Who's actually beautiful. Yeah, actually yeah. beautiful and <laughs> ride or die. Giving me such a look. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you say she's beautiful, she'll do that pretty quickly. Yeah, she immediately does like a snaggle tooth, like... (laughs) Well, this is a little inside baseball. They don't know that we recorded last week's episode just a few minutes ago. They do now. (laughs) They do now. This is how the sausage is made. By the way, that's the grossest saying ever, how the sausage was made. Because if you know how sausage is made, it's pretty gross. Yeah. Just like this podcast. Very gross. <laughs> Burping. Probably farting. Yeah. Uh, Lots of slippery meats. Cats. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. Phallic shaped bodies. <laughs> that. No. Again. Two, two burps for Sarah so far. Isn't that impressive? The sound effects we have in this room. We're not even three minutes in. She's burped twice. Yeah. Well, that's because I chugged half a seltzer <laughs> to wash down the peanut butter pretzels that I was just chugging in between. Yeah. Chugging? No. You're chugging them pretzels. What? Horkin? Horkin. Scarfin. Scarfin. I'm chugging pretzels over here, guys. <laughs> and I've been choking since. <laughs> Just drinking pretzels. Um, I hear a thing. Hey, this just in. It's exactly the same weather as it was last week. It's 61 and partly cloudy at not Disneyland. And 78 degrees and partly cloudy at Disneyland. Hey, speaking of the weather, I'm actually pretty toasty in this room because I have thick wool socks on. I have a layer under my jeans, then my jeans. And then I was wearing t-shirt, long sleeve, hoodie, riding jacket, gloves. Because it's the one nice day because the rain has returned. It indeed has. How crazy is that? It was like, snap. It was 85 degrees degrees one day. I'm not drinking. The next day, it was a high of 59. High of 59, dark and rainy. Yeah. Yeah. We're back, kids. But it's beautiful today, so I'll take it. Yeah, and by the time that this episode comes out, we will be, James and I, will be in Hawaii. Hawaii. Yep. Mahalo. (laughs) That's all I got. So, come on, you want to leave me? Yeah, come on, you want to leave me? Pass the point, Mahalo. (laughs) Pretty excited about that. If uh, if y'all have any Hawaiian tips, send them my way. It'll be too late. Just to be there. Just the tip. Just the tip. I'd like to know what people's Hawaiian tips are because that is so vague. Yep. If you Where have any are tips, you going to be? Where in Hawaii? Just if you have any tips for not being at home, send I, them to James. I didn't even specify travel tips for Hawaii. No. Just Hawaiian tips. Not even which island. No. Nope. Yeah, just, just Hawaii. Just general thoughts on Hawaii feelings. <laughs> sure. However you interpret that. I'm, I have a feeling, A, I'm going to love it. Oh, you will. 
B, it might be one of my favorite food spots we've ever gone to. There's a lot of fish and rice and sweet, salty poke bowls. And man, I'm pretty stoked. Mm-hmm. It's going to be good. I really only have experience with Kauai. What was that like food-wise? It was that. That? Yeah. Delicious. And Can't oddly wait. enough, burritos. Really? Mm. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of like fusion stuff there. Well, there's a place called Da Crack, and anyone who's been to Kauai probably knows exactly what I'm talking about. Da Crack? Da Crack. Okay. It's in... Uh, the Poipu, I can't think of what the actual city is. I'm but already getting pissed at the names. He's been oh. getting progressively more upset about My the word. My favorite oh, one man. is Kapa'a. Kapa'a. It's just a bunch of A's at the end with a... Is it Kapa'a or is it Kapa'a? Wait, <laughs> is it two A's or three? That's Honeymoon oh, in that's Vegas. Honeymoon in Vegas, oh, yeah. Nice. Is it Kapa'a or Kapa'a? <laughs> but yeah, Da Crack is just like a walk-up burrito place. That's super cheap, and you get gigantic burritos, roughly the size of your head, out of a walk-up window mm. that is like a crack in the wall. Oh, how fun. That's just in a little, like, strip mall. Yeah. Nothing special. There's no place to stand or eat or wait. So Sometimes people are the just, best food. the parking lot is the line. Yeah. So it's like the um the yeah. strip mall has, like, a butthole, and it's just, like, pooping out a burrito yes, at you. exactly that. Wow, Ashley. I have a way with words. Okay. <laughs> All right. In honor of Veterans Day, November 11th, 2022. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. And also November 11th of every year, but especially this year. <laughs> we are talking about one of our favorite veterans, Robert Sherman. Yeah, Good old as in the Sherman, Sherman Bros. Bros. Disney legends, to say the least, some of the best Disney music ever made to me is the Sherman Brothers stuff. And it's Bob and Dick Sherman? Yep, Bob, Bob and Dick, and Dick okay. Sherman. Um, before we get into this, we kind of mentioned this earlier. These are two Jewish American fellas. Uh, their parents are Russian Jewish immigrants. And there has been a shitload of anti-Semitism floating around these days. And Emphasis we on to, the shit. Yeah. Really? This old Kanye West fella is starting to piss me off. Starting? Well, we were talking about this before, Sarah. He's always been a narcissist turd bag to me, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of was always just like, whatever about it. I think that's kind of where I was, yeah. too. Yeah. But he, he's officially crossed the line. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you don't need to waste your time. He's just, he's made... Yeah, don't feed the beast. Yeah. He's he's just went out of his way to like blame Jewish media and you know the, the Jewish run record industry. It's not true. It's dangerous. That's how. That's uh, that that's talking the the 30s in Germany. People said that it was the Jews doing this and the Jewish media and the Jewish government and it's fucking bullshit. It doesn't exist. It's a lie. If he were a real man, he would call them by name, mm-hmm. say, this guy mm-hmm. fucked me over. This guy stole my master recordings. This guy. Right. This person. But he doesn't. He says, the Jewish people. It's it's bullshit. Don't buy into it. Not that you guys listening would be such horrible people to buy into something like that. But I just want to say at the top, like, Sherman Brothers represent uh, the best parts of America. And that's why we're talking about them today, because... So much of what we love comes from people like them. Absolutely. Boom. Boom. That was right off the top, guys. That was improv. Right off yeah. the dome. Yeah. Um. So I'm going to say up, up front, my source today is Moose, Chapters <laughs> of My Life by Robert B. Sherman. Aww. It's also kind of cobbled together and written in parts by his son. Um, and Great. so then that's his book, his like autobiography, kind of. And the reason why it's called Moose is um, kind of explained in the preamble or the foreword saying, the pieces of a moose do not make sense separately. If you were to take close-up pictures of the moose's large, awkward antlers or its narrow, bony legs, goofy eyes, or bulbous snout, those (laughs) photographs might prove interesting, but they would fail to give you a sense of what the animal is all about. It's only when you stand back from the beast that you can begin to appreciate its strength and its majesty, its comedy and serenity. 
So it. it's it, it's very much like not in chronological order. It's just like dozens of short stories from various points in his life. I love that. That's great. Oh, I'll definitely dive into that. Yep. Cool. I got the Audible version of it. Or no, I got the Kindle version of it. So I could read it on the computer while I did my research. Nice. Um, So I'm going to do three of his short stories from different points in his life. um, Focusing, two of them focusing on him in the war. Mm -hmm. Because clearly this is Veterans Day. And then one where he's um, working with Disney. And then in between, I'm going to pepper through stuff that he wrote in his about me section um to give context as to bob the human bob the guy before we dive into some of the stuff that ashley's prepared and again with a a bit of a focus on the veteran side of bob sherman we wanted to remind you for the few people that maybe don't know the significance of the sherman brothers in relation to disney and the whole story uh here's uh sherman brothers numerous other disney and non-Disney top box office film credits. And that includes The Jungle Book, The Aristocats, The Parent Trap, Charlotte's Web, Huckleberry Finn, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, uh, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. I mean, it just goes on from there. Yeah. Small World. Yeah, Small World. Uh, Don't blame them for that, though. Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins is probably the one that people know them the most for. Probably the one I think of the most. And that's kind of how they started their relationship with with Walt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mary Poppins. What's the Tom Hanks movie? Uh, Uh, Saving Mr. Banks. Banks, Yep. If you want a good film representation of the Sherman Brothers and kind of a moment in history, uh, Saving Mr. Banks is a really good movie for that. And then there's that documentary. Oh, yeah. called... The brothers, the boys, the the brothers, the boys, the boys. boys. Yeah, you told me about that, and then I went and watched it. It was great. Disney Plus, I think. I think so. It was all about the Sherman brothers. Totally. Yeah, just want to give some context that they're so profound, very significant parts of Disney history. In almost in a way that, like, that's what I think of. Yeah. I mean, there's a few things with the Disney thing, you know, Disney Legends. Maybe there's an animation side that you think of that, Mm -hmm. like, the old timers started. But musically, it's the Sherman Brothers to right. me. That's like that's the the model, the mold, and everyone kind of. Well, when I think there. of Disney music, I immediately think of Mary, Mary Poppins. Poppins. Yep, totally. Yeah. Me too. Cool. Well, Robert B. Sherman was born on a frosty December day in 1925 in New York City to Tin Pan Alley songwriter Al Sherman and his wife Rose. Um, and Tin Pound Alley, if we don't know because I didn't know, is a genre of American popular music that arose in the late 19th century from the American song publishing in- industry centered in New York City. Okay, hmm. cool. Um, so, reminder that this stuff, these like chunks that I'm reading, they're all from, these are his words or his son's words or both. By the way, in that, that moment in time, the, the songwriting publishing side of New York City is a predominantly Jewish thing, too. That's mm-hmm. another Jewish American gift to our culture. Mm-hmm. As Ye so says, many of that music. they're running the music industry. Yeah, they're running <laughs> it exclusively. And even if they were. Shut up, Kanye. Shut up. God. Okay. In 1928, younger brother Richard was born. Years later, brothers Robert and Richard would follow in their father's footsteps, forming one of the most prolific, lauded, and long-lasting songwriting partnerships of all time. As a youth, Robert excelled in intellectual pursuits, taking up the violin and piano, painting and writing poetry. Following seven years of frequent cross-country moves, the Shermans finally settled down in Beverly Hills, California. Throughout Robert's years at Beverly Hills High School, he wrote and produced radio and stage programs for which he won much acclaim. At 16, Robert scripted a stage play entitled Armistice and Dedication Day, which (laughs) earned thousands of dollars worth in war bonds and garnered Sherman a special citation from the U.S. War Department. He was a war hero before he even got into the war. Wow. (laughs) In 1943, Robert obtained permission from his parents to join the army a year early, aged only 17. Jeez. Didn't Dis- didn't Walt Disney do that too? He tried. He, he tried. tried. Right, and right, they, right. Un- they ended up just doing the volunteer yeah, like, yeah. ambulance corps thing. Yeah. Yeah, different time. Okay, here's one of his first stories. Wait, what year was this? This is World War 
Two. 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 Yeah. So Walt Disney tried for World War One. Right, yes. Just for context. Yes. Uh, so his first story, the title of this chapter, is called Nothing of Great Importance. <laughs> Strap in. Okay. This is not the the Bobby Sherman that you're used to hearing about. This is a man, a young man in an act of war. Right, right. The okay. reality. So he writes, Now is the time for doing, for moving. Push back the memories of home. Push back the loving faces of your family and your girlfriend. Those are sane thoughts, pleasant thoughts. They have no place in the violent world of the present. Hmm. We are struggling through the enemy mountains. Even the Tannenbaum boughs resist our advance. As we force our way through the mighty old forests, the lower branches whip across our shins and faces. Defying us, they press against our chest and eyes. The dust and pine sap are a stifling compound which burns our lungs. We press onward still. Our agonized legs have become human calipers spacing the many kilometers of hostile ground. We anticipate their becoming numb as they have in the past. However, when we realize that when we stop, the numbness we achieve will escape from them and the pain will return double. Knowing this, we think of it only casually. What the hell for? There are other thoughts. After gaining a peak in these high mountains, the hike downhill is partial relaxation, although our packs and ammo boxes do not lose their pull. The chafing and choking do not stop on the descent, but it's easier to breathe. What do you do in the infantry? You march, you march, you march. (laughs) (laughs) See, that sounds like the Sherman Brothers. Uh Our weapons feel as though they weigh 300 pounds, but we will not discard them by the way, for we are carrying them in order to destroy the Germans. Of what use would we be without our weapons? That's why we're here. We even carry the captured German Panzerfausts to blast them to hell. Hmm. And I had to look up what that meant. And that means... That's the... The the anti-tank artillery. Right. Like the -the over-the-shoulder anti-tank artillery. Yeah. Is it Panzer? Yeah. No, the Panzer... Panzer, Or the Panzerfausts. Yeah. The the tanks are Panzers. Yeah, yeah. How insignificant seem the old thoughts of personal accomplishment. Social success seems so vain. Scholarship and exercise and futility. Mm. Now great achievement, as in our former dreams, would not elate us. But we'd give a hundred bucks for a canteen of cold water. People back home can keep their wealth, their expensive cars and beautiful women. A hot shower and a soft bed with two months of undisturbed sleep would suit us perfectly. (laughs) Two months. (laughs) Now, nothing else has any value. Jesus, we are damn stark alone. One undermanned infantry company, isolated, cut off. 145 men who have lost contact with their division. Wow. Goddamn redneck captain, stupid. A sterling example of Fort Benning manhood. He does not like his captain. (laughs) Clearly. No one has the strength to speak. Occasionally, a a weary expletive drops from a soldier's mouth. There really is nothing else to say. Here we are, and yet there is so very much that remains unsaid. Now our minds are working in weird patterns. A completely unwanted picture of a cherished face sneaks into your consciousness. It burns there momentarily. Then, the ashes of distance and the ugly present and the desperate future smother sweet memories. These are perhaps kind ashes. Who is the guy plodding in front of me? Who is that dark shadow to my left? Who is that dark hulk ten yards behind me? I should know these men very well. Many times I went on pass with them. We drank a lot of beer together. We went on Louisiana movers with them. They filled the layered canvas bunks near mine on the troop ship, which transported our proud outfit across the Atlantic. But now I don't care to remember who they are. I don't want to think of them as individuals. They, Mm. too, are dangerous liabilities of a happier past. Probably soon they'll all be dead. Who needs more remorse? Mm. Now I'm carrying the herd for 20 men. I must not think of them. The column halts. I sink to my back and I look up at the sky as it gleams through the thick crosswork of the evergreen branches. Oh, Tenenbaum, oh, Tenenbaum. Hmm. The rest is so good, I don't ever want to resume the march. Once again, like a giant snake, the column begins to move. I I snuff out my half-smoked cigarette. You can't smoke when you're climbing mountains. You need the lung space. (laughs) The bitter tobacco aftertaste tells me that I am hungry. 
Another Olympian hour passes, and again the column rests. My thoughts race. Is this it? Is this the point on the map where we must await the signal to attack? Do we finally link up with the battalion here? What's next? In my heart, I really know what's next. I've been there many times before, but I dare not think it's more of the same. Maybe it's not true. Some change of plan or alteration of tactics will spare me this one time. Mm. Our outfit will be sent back in reserve. The ominous whispered word is passed down the line. Make sure there's extra rounds in the chamber. Keep the safety on. Remove the pins from your grenades and tie the handles with black tape. They're going back to the front. Yeah, they're pressing onward. Yeah. I look about. Down the slope, 30 yards, I can just make out a narrow stream in the dawning light. Fix bayonets! Beyond the stream is a cleared field 200 yards across. Then there is a four-lane Audubon. Now I can see it beyond the road. A small village. It looks just like so many pleasant little villages I've helped devastate. (laughs) The neat little swimming pool in the square. The tidy piles of cow dung in front of every door. How peaceful. (laughs) A stray cow in the main street. Low houses and barns with thatched roofs. 50 or 60 buildings in all. Is this warfare? Why not bypass this cozy little hamlet? What harm would there be in that? How can we consider this calendar picture town a military objective? Here by the tree I wait, my rifle ready on my arm. I slide the bayonet from its green sheath and click it into position on the barrel of your rifle. Well, Bob, here you are again. This is war. I am deep in der Vaterland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fatherland. Yeah. No friendly faces to welcome me. No beckoning arms to embrace me. Nothing but unconquered enemy territory ahead. And audaciously, we are going to try to conquer it. A few men gather behind me. I look back past them and you can see the majestic mountains I have so laboriously mastered. And I wonder if I will ever live to cross back over them. Behind the mountains, I recall another once peaceful village now a stinking, smoldering wreck of a gaping shell holes and caved-in roofs and walls with a scattering of corpses everywhere. God. And the revolting smell of charred humanity. That's the worst part. It is the same sour, acrid smell of the many hometowns I've destroyed and left behind. And back, back beyond those towns, the Rhine River and more wrecked towns in some once great, beautiful cities like Cologne. And farther back still, out of Germany through other Nazi-raped countries, and down through France to the port of Le Havre, and back across the ocean, across the states to California, to Beverly Hills, my hometown. It's so peaceful there and warm and safe. It is just morning at home, or is it evening? The air is so sweet. Orange blossoms, a little bit of home, the family behind those familiar white walls. My kid brother is picking up a date in my green Dodge Mm. Coupe. Quickly, flashback, dismiss those thoughts. There before me is a spot in a Germany where no allied soldier has yet walked as conqueror. Now is the time for action, not for reminiscing. Our support artillery is now bracketing in. I hear the swish of shells flying overhead. I feel grateful that the artillery has arrived. Thick black plumes of smoke are rising all over the village. I hear the resounding explosion of German ammunition caches, roaring affirmation of our reason to attack. The Kraut bastards. Only moments now and the whistle will blow and I will jump off into the assault. Check my piece again. Make sure my grenades are securely attached to my jacket. Try to swallow. Fill my lungs with pure German mountain air. I'll need it, you know. That's right. Now I'm ready. I'm calm. The shakes come later. Our shelling lifts. I hear the captain's whistle blow three times. I stand and fight the urge to run away all the way home. My feet go slipping down the slope. I'm yelling, Fuck em! (sighs) The unofficial battalion cry. Officially, it's Rackham, but no one dares to shout it now except for the new replacement second lieutenant. (laughs) We are splashing across the stream. The water feels cold and good, though we get soaked up to our navels. Now we are able to see other GIs on the other side of a 200-yard front. We're not alone. I dash across the empty field, and now we're all closing together. I vault the double strand of cow wire. I stumble, but I pick up my GI ass and run forward. (laughs) Machine guns start their spitting. Their slow, cyclic rate 
tells me that they're not the enemies. Their machine guns fire more rapidly. Their sound is like the high-pitched laughter of a movie maniac. (laughs) I press the safety by my trigger guard. Marching fire. All of the men abreast, I keep advancing, firing my weapon. Don't stop or you'll get pinned down. When I receive returning fire, shoot more rapidly, but keep moving forward. Now that I'm on the level ground, my tenseness seems to have dissolved. I'm amazed at how clear and concentrated upon the primary objective my mind has become. No more interfering home thoughts. Keep firing. That's it. I'm across the field now, and I run across the Autobahn. And now we're entering the little village. Shoot at the windows, doors, and cellars. Fire at all possible gun positions. The object is to keep them down. They won't try to shoot back if the stuff is coming at them thick enough. (laughs) Now we're striding through the town, firing and lobbing grenades into all the cellars. It sounds just like the practice range and training. And the cordite smells the same, like death. But where are the human targets? We know the krauts are somewhere nearby. Now Now a pair of machine guns begins to fire over the right flank. Hear those crazy bastards laugh. What a high, idiotic, nervous laugh. Short, rapid bursts. Hyenas. Good. Someone has silenced them with a grenade. Jeez. We continue our advance through the town. A young woman with three children cowers in a corner of a barn. She shouts vicious curses at at us while we pass them. Spits at us. It's all in German. All I can understand is Americanish. It saddens me, but you can't reason with them. Just don't think about them. Suddenly, a number of the Wehrmacht uh, appear seemingly from everywhere. Their uniforms are sweated through. Their eyes look stunned and defeated. Hands. Can ask, o- sorry, can I ask what that is? The Wehrmacht. That's like um, the. It's like the the group of the forces that are on the German front. Okay. So it's like not one specific group. It's like the the Wehrmacht. Yeah. Okay. Um. Hands overhead, they they cry, Comrade, Nix Schiessen, which I looked that up, and I, I think that it was um, misinterpreted by them. Like, they're hearing these German words, and they don't really know right. what they mean. So it, they wrote Nix Schiessen, but I think it's Nick Scheissen. Um, wow. So, friend, don't shoot, Comrade Nick Scheissen. Mm. They're no goddamn comrades of ours. Motion them back to the collecting point of the western edge of town. Search more buildings. Root them out. Three new th- three Lutheran nuns walk up to us and berate us for coming here and killing people. In perfect British English, they insist that their fearer is a great leader who is only doing good for his country, and we should go back to America. We do not reply, but keep moving. We come upon several dozen German uniforms, wet with sweat, dumped helter-skelter in dark corners. We are ordered to round up all of the males from 15 to 60 who are not in uniform and place them all in a cellar. We round up 28 confused men in civvies. <laughs> After we lock them down in a cellar, a machine gun starts firing at us. We duck below a wall and toss three hand grenades. We rush them. They're dead. All right. <laughs> The new platoon leader, Lieutenant Sample, rolls three concussion grenades through the cellar window where we led the men in civvies. He announces, that'll take care of the civilians. Oh, it's awful. Um, Move out. Watch out. Keep going. Now you're through the village. It occurs to me that I don't even know the name of the place that I've just destroyed. Oh, so what? The shooting has ceased. The crackle of the burning buildings and moans of the stricken break the pastoral silence. The lieutenant signals that we must regroup. We are in a barn. Where is Lieutenant McMillan? Shit. Uh, right here. He's right there. <laughs> Shit. Let's see. Six men short and McMillan on the second count. The Krauts have accounted for them. Sorry, James. The new lieutenant writes their names on his message pad. He sends a corporal to find our dead and get their dog tags. The lieutenant smiles. Don't worry, guys. We'll get reinforcements. Reinforcements is the army's euphemism for replacements. Yep. Hershey, the young company runner, enters the barn out of breath. We must move out in eight minutes. I adjust my light pack and grab some extra ammo, grenades, and K rations from the supply truck. I drink some water and fill my canteen, find a dry cigarette, and smoke it. I eat a D ration chocolate bar, which I looked this up. Those are made by Hershey. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and Colonel Logan, who commissioned them from Hershey, had four requirements for the D-ration bar. The bar must, one, weigh four ounces. Two, be high in food energy value. Three, be able to withstand high temperatures. And four, taste, quote, a little better than a boiled potato. <laughs> that was the requirement. Some tough guys back then, man. <laughs> this was in order to keep soldiers from eating their emergency rations in non-emergency situations. Right. <laughs> Just chew on this cold chocolate bar. Yep. They say it's packed with vitamins. I'd rather have a hot chicken pie. Vitamins are not. I sling my rifle. We move out on the Autobahn, double file, or what they call a column of ducks. Start pushing my ragged feet again. That's it. The sky is turning dark rapidly. It's going to rain. I feel the pull on my lungs a little on my lungs a little stronger now. Our pace slackens perceptively. We are climbing another mountain. Don't look back upon that nameless burning town. Thinking of that woman and her kids there will hurt. That's not what I'm here for. That damn hamlet is just a part of memory now. History, that's all. Look ahead across these new strange mountain heights. The sun is obscured by black clouds, but somehow the dark pines are fringed with rose gold. Rumor along our column has it that we're going to line up with the entire division. There is a major city on the other side of these mountains. We're going to attack it at midnight. Work at keeping up the pace. I must not fall behind. This is a time for doing here in the enemy's mountains. A time for marching, for killing. At home that evening, my family listens to H.V. Kaltenborn on the radio. Quote, there has been little headway on all fronts in the European theater tonight, but nothing of great importance has been reported. <laughs> and that's the end of that chapter. Well, first of all, good job reading that. Yeah, dear Man, God. That was a long one. Thanks for doing that. Hope everyone kept up. That's so many thoughts. Um, that is the, the memoirs of a young man. I, I was thinking about when I was 18, I went to Western Europe with my friends. You know, me mm-hmm. and four of my buds. You remember that? Yeah. We were gone for like two months backpacking through Europe. And we were just doing it to be selfish little turds to go drink and party and right. see Europe and be young. This young man and thousands and thousands of other young men and women volunteered to go to the Western theater of war at that age mm-hmm. and if you look at it he won a purple heart i don't you'll probably get to this later mm-hmm. Won a purple heart um again he was 17 when he joined the army he was shot in the knee <laughs> he, which made him walk with a cane for the rest of his life right uh in 1945 he was among the first soldiers who entered the dachau concentration camp that's where we're starting next i've been there Mm-hmm. I went to the Dachau camp as an entirely different version of an American. Yeah, similar age, similar completely age, different person. Years yeah. down the line, because he went at that age and fought so that I didn't have to, so that the Nazis didn't continue to run the fucking world and mm-hmm. continue to murder Jewish people. Dachau was, it's like one of the darkest days of my entire life. <laughs> Yeah. We pull up there full of energy and shitty party guy Americans, you know, those, you remember me at 18. I do. Just like full of piss and vinegar, just having a good time. And we pull up to that knowing that it was going to be like a tough visit, but we're, we're kids. You don't really know. Mm-hmm. And it is literal ovens and people pointing, you pointing like that many people die right there. That's the room where people are stacked like sardines in one room, people suffocated to death right there, you know? And uh, I was just thinking about that a lot while you were talking, that this young man went around Europe. Yeah. A lot of the same places I went to, but he did it in such a different, such a different goddamn thing. way. Well, it's, I think it's really important for us, man. those of us who have not seen war no, at all, not in any real way at all. At all. Um, to remember that those who have, have such different life experiences and I mean, yeah, it's just, it's hard to imagine going through that and then coming back to life. Mm-hmm. 
like your comfortable, cozy home where you have a heater and clean sheets and food on the table and people who care about you. But those people weren't there. Right. They They didn't go through that. There's no one to identify with. It's no wonder that vets come back from war and have a hard time time. coming back into life. That's why I love that first... um, that first chapter that I read because it is that it's like you can see he's wrestling with it. He wants to think about his family and his loved ones back mm-hmm. at home, but you can't do that. But you can't. You have to isolate and protect yourself. And same thing with you know those are civilians. Some of them might have been Germans that were yeah just wearing civvies. Mm-hmm. Um, that were Nazis wearing civvies, but may- maybe not. Maybe all of them were just people like just his people. family back at home, and totally. he had to just turn that off. Yep. Yeah, it reminded me of Band of Brothers. There's the, there's a part where they're in the Band of Brothers, which is based off all real stuff, Easy Company did those things. Mo- like ninety percent of the characters in Band of Brothers were real people, mm-hmm. well researched. So it's it's an amazing uh, doc or TV series for that reason. There's a part where they're marching through. They had just captured a bunch of German soldiers. They're all lined up over here smoking, and as they're walking past these German soldiers, most of the guys are kind of. Like making fun of them, shouting at them, hey dickhead, as they walk by, blah, blah. Right. And this guy makes a comment like, where are you from? You know, blah, blah. Doofus store. He made up some German name. Yeah. And the guy responds back, Eugene, Oregon. Mm-hmm. A German soldier. Uh huh. And he's like, whoa, what'd you just say? It's like, he's like, yeah, my parents moved there and. He I goes, got, I'm from Eugene. Yeah, I got, constri- I got conscripted to fight in the war. In the fatherland. Yeah, my, my parents are German citizens. We've lived in Eugene, Oregon. And they got, because <sighs> Hitler called back German Americans right. and a lot of people went back to fight for their country. Yeah. Because again, like early in the thirties and stuff, there was no, there was some hints that Hitler was being a dictator. Well, there was and no was internet. Dangerous, but there's no internet. You got what That's, you got. That is exactly right, sir. The information you got was exactly what you were given. Wanted to be given. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. If you're lucky, you saw those like newsreels before a movie, right? But yeah, you're absolutely right. For everybody, didn't have a TV, no, no, or even a radio. It was really cool because that character changed his whole like the way he talked to Germans moving forward. Sure, because then he saw them as people. There's a really good part in Band of Brothers. I'll show up after this and let you continue to gush. There's giving my voice a break is fine. (laughs) No, I just I love the. The European World War II story is just so fascinating to me for so many reasons. There's a part where one of the soldiers from Easy Company, in the beginning and end of each episode, they have interviews with the real people, these old men, the real veterans. And one of them is talking about lamenting back on his time in the war. And he he said, later in life, it started to occur to you that we had more in common with the enemy the German soldiers than we did with anyone else in the mm-hmm. world. Right. We were all 19 year old guys, 18, 17 year old boys. And you look across the field and you'd see the German front line. They're all the same guys. They're all the same, the same guys dudes that are just as scared, just as, scared. Just as uninformed yep. about why they're there. Yep. And, <laughs> and you can't, you can't write back to your parents. They can't identify with you. Nope. No one else knows what you went through, Mm-mm. but the enemy and in mm-hmm. some weird way, they're the closest friend to you. Right. It's totally crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And then he just kind of was like, and it just makes you, it's like, it's all just for nothing. What yeah. the mm-hmm. fuck did we do over there? Why? Why? My brother More like mad at Hitler. You know, like, why'd you do this? Yeah. You ruined everyone's lives. My brother-in-law served, I think it was five. Yeah, something. Uh, he tours. was deployed five times. Mm-hmm. and uh, Iraq, mostly. Yeah, and then Afghanistan too. Oof. Um, but yeah, I mean, and and sorry, and he was also part of the early Iraq days where they were fighting like uh, real oh, yeah. combat, uh, Fallujah. Yep, boots really, on the ground, really scary stuff. Yeah, really scary stuff. And he was a baby. Yeah, and, just a kid. I mean, now he's a what thirty six year old dude, and but he's been through it. He's been through so much. <laughs> oh my God, that it kind of it's mind-boggling to mm-hmm. think of what he's seen and then to have to just live a normal life here. Totally. That's why it's so hard for them. It's That's why the suicide rate for veterans is through the roof. Absolutely. Suicide, addiction, yep. abuse. Yep. Uh, it's 
it's real for a reason. When life is life or death, and the person next to you, you know, you'd be willing to die for that person, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you have to snap and go to work at Intel, and like, there's yeah. no stakes here. Who cares? Or what? Just are, what? Dealing with laundry and yeah. home and Ugh. dinner and grocery shopping. Right. It it has to just it has to make you feel, feel crazy. so yeah bipolar mm -hmm. that you saw that. You saw right. being strung up and hanging from the streets or those dead bodies that Sherman saw. Yeah. You know, and then you just go back to Beverly Hills where shooting, his family lives. Shooting someone and not knowing if you killed them. Well, they talk about that. Maybe we'll get more into this. The Sherman brothers, they were such two different opposing figures in many ways. Mm -hmm. That Dick Sherman was a little more bright. You know, he's just kind of a happier go lucky guy because mm -hmm. he didn't have to go through all Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yep. And he was a little bit more serious and he walked with a cane mm -hmm. and he, he wore the war on his yep. on his sleeves. Well, this might be part of why. Okay, so this next chapter is shorter, thankfully, for my voice, and then the third one is very short. Great. Okay. Dachau. Oh, Jesus, actually. <laughs> That's oh. that's the name of it. All right, here we go. It was a brisk April day in Hitler's Vaterland. Mm -hmm. The eight men in my detail were aimlessly wandering across the fallow fields of green and gold. I was wondering how in hell I had gotten us so separated from our company. We had strung three rolls of barbed wire during the night. Returning, we must have taken a left instead of a right. We were hungry and exhausted. In the distance, we saw what appeared to be a sign of civilization. As we neared it... We discovered that it was a large fenced area of some sort. Carefully, we crept closer. Two German staff cars and three open trucks loaded with Kraut soldiers streaked through the gate and sped into the distance. We were bewildered by the German garrison's sudden exit. Cautiously, with the fear of combat infantrymen crossing a minefield, we, we made our way toward the battered wire gate, which was hanging ajar. No one was firing at us. As we walked through the gate, a group of five thin, gray, faded, and forlorn scarecrow men edged their way toward us. <laughs> their black-rimmed eyes and skeletal bodies drew immediate pity. They spoke German, and we didn't understand, but we did understand that they had been prisoners. One of the sad-looking group heard me say, quote, They're German prisoners, probably Jewish or Catholic. Mm. He seemed to explain with joy. He cried out in German, Americans, they're American. The excited prisoner embraced me. I was immediately overcome by his indescribable odor. But what was worse, I saw crawling on his scalp and eyebrows hordes of lights. Abruptly, I pushed him away. He was so frail, it didn't take much of a push. He grasped my left hand and kissed it. I felt instantly sad and somehow guilty, but there was no way any of us could communicate. We took a brief walking tour of the camp. The small group of men closely followed us, making indecipherable comments. But we didn't hear anything that they mumbled. Our attention was fixed on the horrors that we were witnessing. The world has been exposed to them now. The specter of an open trench piled high with wasted bodies. The stench. The ovens filled with incompletely burned human bones. Jesus. In half an hour, I saw enough to fill my nightmares for the remainder of my life. We ended up back near the front gate. We had attracted a large crowd of pitiful humans. They had followed along behind us. We were at a loss as to what to do with these poor souls when three jeeps came barreling into the camp. A couple of two-star generals and their staffs jumped out of their jeeps and ran over to us. "'How long have you men been here, sir?' asked the first lieutenant. "'Too fucking long, sir,' I said." You know what this place is? Do you see any crowds anywhere? They all took off about an hour ago. This is some sort of labor camp, right? Oh, One of the two God. stars was standing behind me. This is no damned work camp, son. This is a Nazi extermination camp. They exterminated Jews and Catholics and gypsies in this shithole. This camp is called Dachau. Now, you and your men better get your asses out of here pronto. The lieutenant indicated on a small contour map where our outfit was last seen and pointed us in the right direction. We were happy to leave there. No one said a word until much later when we reached our division. For God's sake, what could we say? About four o'clock in the morning, April 12, 1945, a date I'll never forget, the company was assembled. Captain Clarence F. McSpadden from Electra, Texas, addressed us. Men, great news! President Rosenfeld just kicked the bucket. 
um, which is FDR. Yeah. Uh, and for people who don't know, Rosenfeld was kind of um, a bit of a slur, insinuating that he was secretly a Jew. So mm-hmm. a little bit of anti-Semitism peeking out through his own infantrymen. No kidding. Right. Wow. Um, 80% of the company, comprised of young Southern crackers and rednecks, whooped and hollered and cheered. My heart sank within me. Later that day, we assaulted a small town called Breidenbeck, where I was shot in the knee, forcing me to walk with a cane ever since. That's what he was awarded his Purple Heart for. Mm. By the way, he also had a lot of, obviously, a lot of surgeries and struggle. It's not like shot in knee and then just cane. No. It's it's a miserable recovery. You're shot in the knee. That's mm-hmm. the worst place you can be shot. The worst non-lethal yeah, place non-lethal. you can be shot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. A lifetime later, reports on TV and in newspapers claimed that a Japanese outfit liberated Dachau during World War II at a much later date in April. Wow. Preposterous. Ah. Soon, another group claimed that they were the ones who accomplished the liberation Mm. of Dachau Mm. weeks after we were there. Liberations in quotes. Yeah. There was a big spread in the Times about that. Bullshit. Just a few weeks ago, I received a letter from the New Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., The writer introduced himself by stating that he was a soldier who, with his company, liberated Dachau. And presently, sponsored by the museum, he was traveling around the country lecturing to school kids about the horrors he witnessed when he liberated Dachau prison camp during World War II. Wow. This letter inspired a reply from me. An angry reply. (laughs) I stated that no one liberated Dachau. Not he, not the Japs, not I. The Germans just left. They did the liberating of their own prisoners. That phony never answered me. Yeah, we just shelled Germany so hard for so long. They just gave up at that point. And they all knew, we better get the fuck out of here. Mm -hmm. Because to be one of the concentration camp... I know a lot of this right now because I just listened to the Auschwitz series from the last podcast on the left. Mm -hmm. Auschwitz is a mirror image of Dachau. Right. Auschwitz is just like five or ten times bigger. Yes. But... These camps were like the special VIP place for yeah. the worst of the Nazis to be because it was these you weren't on the front line. Right. You get hot meal every day. Mm-hmm. They had like dance halls, you know, prostitute little buildings that were mostly the prisoners. Mm-hmm. It was just a grand old time for them. And uh, that that became very much not that when they knew that the Americans and the Russians were on their way over. Yeah. They're like, we need to get the hell, hell out of here and now. Because we are the biggest assholes that have ever walked this yeah. planet. And we're about to get caught being those assholes. There's a lot of accounts of the <laughs> the Jewish prisoners, or all the prisoners, um, saying that a lot of these soldiers, a lot of the German guards that were shitty to them this whole time, like a week leading up to it, started to be really nice. You know? Well, that fixes it. Because they, yeah. knew, they knew that they were going to tell on them, obviously. Right. What a bunch of cowards. Well, let's finish with a, a nice little palate cleanser. Um, uh, before you do, I want one other thing. I was thinking of Band of Brothers again. Mm-hmm. There's a part where they they go to, I think they're they're vague about what camp it is because they're trying to kind of, you know, encapsulate all of them at once. Yeah. It's basically Dachau. And the Americans go in. They see this atrocity. Most of these young men didn't know. Most of these young men thought that Hitler was trying to rule the world that he drug all us into this world war, that he was anti-Semitic, but they did, they had no idea. They yeah, thought it no, was a he's, policy thing. Yeah, right. He's like, no, this is a prison camp, clearly. It's a prison camp, yeah. And and they heard about these camps thinking they were work camps, prisoner camp, work camps. Which um, is still bad. Still bad. But it's not what it's it was. It's not what it was. <laughs> they were trying to exterminate an entire race. Yes. And anyway, the and then <laughs> suddenly these uh, American soldiers go back to the town which is just through the woods, you know, a 10 minute walk back to this adorable Bavarian village. Mm-hmm. And they they start confronting the townspeople like, "How did you not know? How do you not smell that? Mm-hmm. How are you fucking kidding me? You didn't see the lines of trucks and the, the trains at 2 in the morning with people screaming and yelling and again the smell. How do you not How did you not know?" Right. And this this baker guy is just like, "Well, I really didn't know. We had no idea." It's such a good scene because you don't know who to believe. Right. You're like, you're with the American soldier and you're pissed and you're like, yeah, how didn't you know? But then you start thinking about it logically as someone in the moment, even if they did know, what the fuck do you expect them to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? 
Go to the police. Yeah, what police? Go to your German military. Right. Help. Oh, God. Well, anyway. so he recuperated in England, got his Purple Heart medal. Yep. Um, he befriended a bunch of English people while he was there and recu- recuperating. Um, returned to the United States. He went to college in upstate New York. Um, and then he started writing music with his brother upon the uh, a challenge from his father. He said, you and, you and Dick need to start writing music together, which he did in 1950. He married after the love of his of life. That, all of that happy yes. music that we grew up with, he yeah. wrote after going through that. Go yes. through that and then write, let's go fly yeah, a kite. Right. Yep. Wow. Wow. So he, yeah, he married the love of his life, Joyce. They had four kids. They founded the Music World Corporation, a music publishing company, which would later um, make a relationship with Disney's publishing arm, uh, Wonderland Music Company. Nice. Started writing songs with them. Um, and so that's where we are, where he is interacting with Walt. Okay. This one's called Friday Afternoons. Something very special transpired that first time we played Feed the Birds for Walt. <laughs> the song touched him deeply and personally. It was on that day that he offered us full-time employment, and from that time on, when we'd meet with him, Walt would often request a private recital of his favorite song, Something Feed about the that birds. makes me really like Walt Disney and respect his taste, mm-hmm. that that was the song that spoke to him. Yep. Usually on a Friday afternoon, Walt would call Dick and me up to his office. We'd share a drink, talk about the week gone by, and what our plans were for the weekend. Hmm. At one point, Walt would invariably say, play it. Dick would go over to the piano if he wasn't there already, and uh, Walt and I sat and listened. Dick and I both knew what Walt wanted to hear, and Walt knew that we knew. Right. It was the song that, ha- that had become his own gentle anthem. Aww. One time after Dick finished playing it, I heard Walt say, under his breath, not meaning to be heard, Yep, that's what it's all about. Oh, <laughs> wow. I couldn't begin to guess what personal life experience led Walt to connect so deeply to my lyric or to the music, which so perfectly accompanied it. But I do think that this song summed him up. He was just a simple man, a simple, wonderful man who understood that the greatest gift life bestows upon a person is the chance to share it with others. When Walt died in ni- uh, December of 1966, our world would never be the same. The word Disney would no longer refer to a man, but now referred to a perceived way of thinking, a Mm. studio, a publicly traded stock. Disney was now an institution. But to us, everything that made Walt so relevant to our world was suddenly lost when he left it. While we could still bear working at the studio, occasionally we would go to Walt's now empty office, usually on Friday afternoons, and play our song for Walt one more time. Do you know the the piano that's in his office? The office he can do, do a tour of. Very few people get to, but... That's the one. That's the one. And that, that piano, there's one person that gets to play that piano. Yep. Do you know who it is? Um, I don't remember. It's it's Dick Sherman. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because he's the only brother he's alive. He's the only one left. Right. Yep. By the way, he's 90-something. Wow. Yeah. And so anyway, he's the only person that's allowed to touch that piano. That's great. That is great. That's like a company policy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he, you know, got of his all of his works and his acolytes, and he his wife died 2001. Hmm. He moved from Beverly Hills to London because he had kind of fallen in love with that area when he was there. And That's he... such a common thing with the Sherman Brothers and Disney. You oh, yeah. You notice that? The, the, the London love thing. for... British culture yep, is yeah. so early Disney. I wonder what that is. So he spent the last 10 years of his life painting and writing. Uh, and then he died finally on March 6, 2012. Wow. What a legend. Mm-hmm. He was 80 something, if I'm doing my math right. Something. Yeah, 80, he was 80... born in 1923. I think that's right. Cause 25. Dick... Okay. 25. And then Dick was born in 28. Yeah. So he was 86. What a legend. What an absolute legend. Yeah. Well, and to think Jeez. that his story is just one of... Oh, Dude, that's why I, I love this so much. Like, these stories became this person that I already knew a good amount about. Yeah. And Sarah, what you just said could be applied to... Everything. You, what did you mean by that? the veterans or Disney people? Veterans. Okay. That's what yeah. I thought. You yeah. Meant. But you can apply it to the Disney thing or just, anything. Yeah. That Any, festival we just went to. The, that the asshole of people that, that cut that you off in your car yeah, earlier totally. today. Right. Yes. And that too. Yep. Wow. 
yeah, you're right, Sarah. The the individual stories and the individual experiences from veterans is pretty tough to even process. Yeah. Especially then. I mean. Really, anytime. 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 It's just different hell. Just different but hell. God. Ugh. Yeah. You know that the 101st Airborne is on the border of Ukraine right now? Mm. You hear that? We sent troops over there. <laughs> it's for a training exercise with NATO, to be fair. Yeah. So it's not for that, but it's for that. It, they're there. That's why they're, they're there. They're ready. Yeah. So it's yeah. the first time that the U.S. Army or the U.S. military mm-hmm. has been in uh, Europe for any sort of conflict reason in like 80-something years. Wow. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm going to recommend everyone read Moose chapters of his life that's great hell yeah, yeah. i'm gonna it's read that. nice little chunks too you can read <laughs> it in probably 15 10 15 minutes at a time okay awesome well well done as always ashley yeah i well don't think i've got anything to recommend do i oh, yes i do yes i do i have an apple tv show called shantaram okay it has uh it stars charlie hunnam who i have a massive crush on yeah he's pretty cool yep He's sons the of anarchy sons dude. of anarchy yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jax. Yeah. Jax Teller. Yep. Josh put it on and said, this is for you. And uh, it's uh, it's a drama series. What's it called again? It's called Shantaram. S-H-A-N-T-A-R-A-M. Is he like in India or something? Yeah. It's so it's based on a, a story of a book or something like an account of some that's like a real. I don't know anything except that it says this is what IMDb says about it's it. It's a popular book. Fugitive Lynn Ford looks to get lost in chaotic 1980s Bombay. Alone in an unfamiliar city, Lynn struggles to avoid trouble but falls for an en- enigmatic, I can't do that word, mm. for an enigmatic woman and must choose between freedom and love and the complications that come with it. Nice. And he just, he forms this really great bond with this Indian kid and they get up to all kinds of trouble Mm-hmm. But he's also, he was like an ambulance driver. Um, I, I don't know if he was New Zealand or Australia. Sorry, they're the same place for me. Um, <laughs> you know how I feel about it. Yeah, Make it one place. I, I do. I yep. do know how you feel about yep, it. Yep, yep. Mine is just that I can't remember the difference, the difference at all. And it's brand but, new, looks like. Yeah, it's brand new. It's still like releasing se- or episodes every week. Um, so we're caught up. Nice. But it's, it's really well done. And... Um, yeah, I think it's got that a really good mix of drama, action, and a little bit of humor. Mm-hmm. So mostly drama, action, but there is a little bit of humor. Love it. Definitely check it out. All right, I'll go on. Uh, just a quick one off the top, The Boys. Yeah. The, the documentary about the Sherman Brothers. That's, good call. That's an obvious one. Uh, I think it's on Disney+. Plus. That's where I watched it. Yeah, yep. that's where I watched it, too. My official pick... So last night we watched The Godfather 2. Mm. It's three hours plus long. With and, an intermission. Yeah. And usually I would start this whole thing with Godfather 1. Highly recommend. If you've never seen it, start with 1. But man, Godfather 2 is such a great movie. It's so fun. It's so... Uh, it's like... It's such a dramatic thing. It's so dramatic. Mm-hmm. The music. And, and this is the one where they... they travel through so many periods of time throughout the Corleone's story. Yeah. It's like early 1900s in Sicily and then it flashes back to or current day which is like the 50s when Al Pacino's character Michael Corleone is now the godfather and he mm-hmm. never wanted to be. Right. Especially in the first one he had no interest in doing it. He was like forced into it. And then it, and then it shows Vito Corleone who's the godfather in the first one. Uh-huh. His, his dad um, coming to America, like seeing the Statue of Liberty, and he's like a nine or ten year old boy who had to run away from Sicily because everyone killed his family, right. and he had to he had to run. And it's great, and that's and then the adult, young adult version of Vito Corleone is played by Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's just so well done. They just kind of jump back between those time periods. And the music's you, perfect. Have you watched the offer yet? No, show? I haven't. I can't oh, wait. Yeah. I yeah, want you're going to gonna love it. It's an acted thing, right? Uh-huh. It's not a documentary. It's not a documentary, right. but it's based on a lot of real information. Yeah, we were talking about that last night. Like, I definitely have to watch that. Yeah. Okay, so that's my pick. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode of Disney Dependent. See, See you real soon. soon. Feed the, the monk. monk.
be the monk. Oh, the Dexter. The dog. The dog? The cat. <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Disney Dependent. And you can send us an email at DisneyDependent at gmail.com. This podcast is produced by Producer Ash. The logo is by Ryan Hatch, and you can find him at WR Hatch on Instagram. The music is by Ryan Knowles, and you can find him at Ryan Allen Knowles on Instagram. This show is mixed and edited by Deanna Chapman. You can find Deanna at Deanna underscore Chapman. And this has been a Team Dynamite Goat production. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the show, and we'll be back here next week. <laughs>